How you doing? Welcome to G2, the politically correct church. Um, so we are in the midst of this series called Hidden Jesus, which uh, Gareth, who gave the notice earlier, um, prepared. And uh, Gareth, in the first session, uh, talked about this um, idea of those people, that those disciples that walked with the resurrected Jesus, but didn't know it. And he explained how he was more than they ever imagined he was. That even their amazing understanding of who he was, was limited because he wasn't just the Jesus that they had encountered in their life. He, had, he was from the very beginning in all of the scriptures. And they, and they did this amazing Bible study, which is not recorded, where he talked through the entirety of the scriptures and showed how he was revealed through them. Joe spoke last week and took us to one, one of many examples of uh, an appearance of God, possibly Jesus, in the lives of people before Jesus was earthly born. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and uh, they're in the furnace, and then a fourth man appears with them. And uh, we call that either a, a theophany, an appearance of God, or a Christophany, an appearance of Christ. I'll just give you that, just so you, you know, drop it into conversation tomorrow <laughs> at Starbucks. It always goes down well. Um, so when, when Gareth first chatted to me about the idea um, of this series, like, I was impressed by the, the scholarly seriousness of it, but I couldn't get two cartoons out of my mind that have just been stuck there. So the only way I can get them out of my mind is to share them with you. Then they'll be stuck in your minds, and you'll remember them forever. So if we can have the first slide. So um, if you can see what that says there, you've got, you've got two Bible types knocking on the door, and they're saying to the person answering, have you found Jesus yet? And then if you look really carefully, can you see? <laughs> He's hidden, hidden Jesus behind the curtains. I love that. Oh, good, that one's gone. Great. Bless you with that. Let's have the next one. Uh, who knows what this is? Who knows what it is? Where's Wally? So when I, Gareth was talking to me about hidden Jesus, all I could think about was where's Wally? And I was having the ideas like, what should we all wear the uniform and as we preached? And you know, what sketch could we do? By the way, can anyone see where Wally is? James, well done, so quick. Okay. He is right in the middle. Okay, I'm going to get you to chat on your tables. Um, not too serious, but serious if you want. Um, I want to ask you the question, in your imagination, where might Jesus be now? Now, I believe he's everywhere, I believe through the Holy Spirit, so it's a kind of redundant question, but in your imagination, where might Jesus be now? Is there something happening in the world or in the news where you think, Jesus is there, or I hope Jesus was, is there, or I, I wish for Jesus to be there, or do you think he's whispering in the ears of presidents and kings, or is he sitting alongside the homeless person, is he next to the person that's suicidal, is he rejoicing, you get the picture. So for your conversation, you've got two minutes at your table, where do you, where do you think Jesus is now? Share that with the people at your table. So the heart of this series is really to deepen our understanding of Jesus, of who he is. Let's just see, is this one working? Okay, we'll stick with red. Um, who is Jesus? And we have obviously the, the, what's said about him in the New Testament, beginning with his life. But he actually is in the Old Testament as well, in many places. And we can get all sorts of answers. And, we, and, it, and the more we peer into that, the more we actually understand 
the true Jesus, rather than a caricature of who he might be. I'll give you some examples. Um, Jesus said in John 8, he said, before Moses was, I am. An amazing statement. Moses, probably a couple of thousand years prior to the birth of Christ, and then he said, before Moses was, I am. And I am is like a, a God statement. It's kind of saying, before Moses, I was God as well. Um, we had the example last week uh, from Job of, of uh, God appearing with those three people in the furnace. It was like the fourth person appearing in that. Um, there's the story of uh, Abraham, who was in our first reading, who had like uh, two visitors who came to him um, in white robes with sashes, uh, like an appearance, a connection of Jesus uh, with them. Uh, and uh, so we've got, we've got various types of examples of what's... I'll tell you what, guys, just let's not do the headset, because it's... Let's stick with this. Okay. Um, so we've got all sorts of things. We've got, we've got the idea of, like, a, a, an actual appearance of Jesus. Um, we've got the idea of, like, a, an example or a, prof- a prophecy that speaks about the Jesus who's coming. Uh, and today we're looking at the idea of, of a type typology or an allegory, a picture, uh, an idea with a second meaning that speaks about who Jesus is. And actually, the more that you read the New Testament, what you see is um, the New Testament often refers to the Old Testament and says, Jesus was there, or that is like Jesus. I'll give you some more examples. In 1 Peter where Moses parting the Red Sea is described, it's described as the same as our baptism in Christ. So it's like a linking of those two events. So when, when the Red Seas were parted and the salvation event that took place from that is like a, a picture of what God does when somebody is baptised. In Romans it says that when the Jews put the blood on the doorposts, as a sign of being spared death, that that's the sign of Jesus' blood shed over us. Another one, John 8, Jesus said, um, just as Moses lifted up his stuff, and what Moses said is he lifted up his stuff and all that looked at it was saved, Jesus said, so if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to save them for myself. Uh, another one in the Old Testament was an idea of something called the City of Refuge. And the City of Refuge was like a, a kind of ancient law and order system. If you accidentally killed somebody, the natural justice meant you get killed back. That was, it was called the Law of Retribution. Uh, if, you, if you kill, you get killed back. If you steal, you, it's taken back from you. So if you accidentally killed somebody, um, there was a sense in which you needed protection. And there were places called cities of refuge, and this is how it worked. You would have to get yourself to the city of refuge, and if you could get yourself to a city of refuge, you were safe. And and it was as if you were under the protection of the priest of that city. And then here's here's the thing. When the priest died, you were pardoned from any guilt and allowed to go free in safety. So Jesus is like our city of refuge. Another one, uh, Matthew 12, Jesus said, just as um, Jonah was in 
the belly of a big fish for three days, so the Son of Man will descend into earth for three days. So he likened his kind of resurrection journey to an Old Testament story of Jonah being swallowed by the fish. So if, if you like, these are all examples, foreshadowings of Jesus, where we, the more we see these, we see how Jesus is then the truer and the greater fulfilment of each of these promises. There were a few silly ones I found on the internet. I can't resist sharing them with you. Let me tell you what they are. Just three. Here's the first one. Samson had long hair, so so did Jesus. Um, here's one I really love. Um, Jesus wore sandals, so those that follow him should not wear socks. <laughs> Little fact for you, Rick Warren does not wear socks. I discovered that this week. Awkward. I hope he has spray. For here's, here's the one I really, really, really love. Okay. Moses parted the Red Sea, so Jesus parted his hair. Okay. I've got a little short video uh, to play for you that's about this idea of Jesus being the fulfillment of these Old Testament pictures and ideas about who he is. So let's watch that video now. So today we're looking at this amazing character that appeared in both the readings that we had earlier called Melchizedek. And uh, you could be forgiven for not having heard his name before, not, not going, oh yeah, that guy. He's not really that famous. He gets only a little mention in the Bible, a little bit in the Old Testament, and then he's picked up again in the New Testament. Uh, he's not a great warrior. He didn't fight any battles. He didn't pull down any war walls. He didn't work any miracles. Uh, he spoke few words that are recorded to us. And actually, part of our interest in him is that so little is said about him, particularly where he came from, why he was there, or where he went. He is like an international man of mystery who just appears for a couple of flashes through scripture. Yet who he is and what he is is actually of incredible importance to our understanding of Jesus, our understanding of this idea of a hidden Jesus, knowing who Jesus is by understanding how he is spoken about in the Old Testament. His name means King of Righteousness, that is a cool name, okay? That is a really good name. Any parents here thinking of the next child, you're going through the usual thing, you know, what name would go really well? Okay, can I commend to you Melchizedek, okay? A really cool name. No child with that name is going to get any stick at school. Okay, with a name as righteous, as good as that, King of Righteousness. It could be a girl's name, you could shorten it to Mel. Am <laughs> I selling it to anyone? Anyone going to use it? Think about it. Think about it. Um, and he is also referred to as, as, as King of Salem. And Salem means in Aramaic peace. And we don't know it for certain, but it's possible that, that Salem was what became known as Jerusalem, City of Peace. That's maybe not a fact, but it's a, it's, it's a speculation, it's a possibility. He is, king, he is king of righteousness, his name, and he is the king of Salem, the city of peace. And Jerusalem is the city of peace. 
And in the reading that the first reading had uh, from Genesis, page 9 in your Bibles, if you're um, following, Abraham, later to be Abraham, is returning from a battle. He's been fighting to defend his cousin uh, Lot, and he's coming back with uh, some plunder, the spoils of war. And on the way, he meets this mysterious character, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a, is a priest. And so Abraham, this incredibly important figure in the history of the Bible, a person who's called the father of a multitude, the person that God in person made a covenant with and said, I will bless you and make you the father of all nations. So Abraham's this incredibly important person. He, he engages with Melchizedek and uh, pays him a tithe, a 10% of the property that he has with him and receives from him a blessing. As you probably know, in the, in the Bible, a tithe was both a practical thing, so it was, it was a community tax, it was a way of supporting either those that did ministry or those that were uh, poor and in need. It, it means literally a tenth, it was 10%. So if you, had, if you had animals, you would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine gods, the last one was the tenth. If you had ten bags of grain, you would do the same, etc. So your tithe was, was your uh, giving of your property and your wealth. But the, the tithe was your act of worship. You gave your tithe as worship. And Abraham meets Melchizedek and gives him a tithe. Now we have no prior knowledge behind it. We don't know what, what the motivation was. Abraham just felt that he should do that. And then Melchizedek is a priest. He, he gives Abraham back a priestly blessing. And we had that read to us. Jump forward about a thousand years to the psalm that was our second reading, Psalm 110. And King David has written a psalm. Quite possibly inspired through the reading of the first, the first reading that we had. He would have had those scriptures. He was a king. Kings were, meant to, were mandated to read the scripture. That was considered an important qualification of being a king, that you would, you would read the, the scriptures and understand who you were and why you were doing what you were doing. And David, a thousand years later, um, reads these words and um, quotes them uh, to do with the idea of somebody who was coming. Um, and he, he, said, he refers to it as this, my Lord said to my Lord. The first Lord is, is Yahweh, the name of God, and the second Lord is whoever it might be. In Mark um, chapter 12, Jesus is talking at the temple courts and teaching about the idea of the Messiah, and he refers back to this psalm and says, who is David talking about? People say that the Messiah will be the son of David, but is David talking about himself, or is he speaking about the Messiah who will come? And then in, in the rest of the psalm, what, what um, David does is he says, and the Messiah, the one that he's speaking about, will be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jump forward another thousand years, and we're into the book of Hebrews, let me just find the page we're going to read from. Uh, 
I have this planned in two hands. So the Genesis passage, a thousand years later, approximately the psalm, and then approximately another thousand years later, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew followers of Jesus, and again refers to this idea of Melchizedek. Let me read to you some of these verses. I'm reading from starting in chapter 7. Uh, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who became priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is their fellow Israelites, even though they are now descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who has the promises. Let's jump forward and read a few more verses from verse 17. He quotes the same psalm again and says, For it's declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And then I'll jump forward to verse 24 and then it starts talking about Jesus and it says, Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and therefore is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always intercedes for them. So Jesus is everything we know he's to be, but he's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a priest that didn't trace his ancestry to the, to the limited group of just one tribe. He wasn't a Levitical priest. He wasn't a descendant of a man called Levi. He wasn't just a priest in the Jewish nation. In fact, the whole thing about us not knowing where he came from was the sense that actually he was possibly that sense that Jesus now becomes a priest for all people because we can't say Melchizedek was limited to one place or one tribe or one parentage. And the key thing for us to get about Melchizedek is that in the Old Testament there were all sorts of figures and there were some kings and there were some priests. And if someone was a priest, they could not be a king. And if someone was a king, they could not be a priest. And it was written into the Jewish law that that, that was the way it was. A person couldn't hold those two roles because those roles were completely different. It's a bit like in our society, you, 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 if you're a politician, you can't be a judge or a policeman, or if you're a policeman, you can't be a judge. And a, you, you can only be one of those three, because there's like a separation of roles within law and order. This in the Jewish community was a separation of their faith ministry. Kings had a role before God, and priests had a role before God, and the two roles were separate, except only in this person, Melchizedek, who is a type of who Jesus is. So two types in one. It's a bit like your favourite supermarket. Buy one, 
get one free. Not a priest on his own, not a king on his own. A king and a priest at the same time. And the king represented God to the people. A king was like the law giver, the judge, the ruler, the commander, the boss, the authority. The king represented God from God to the people. A priest represented people to God. He was like the pastor or the compassion or the person that shares in prayer or the one that intercedes or negotiates on your behalf, the one that stands alongside and, and encourages you and helps you to go to God. Here's how one person put it. The king was the person of truth. The priest was the person of tears. And if you know the story in John 11 of the death of Lazarus, uh, here's a summary. Three siblings, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And they clearly were friends with Jesus in the way that their interaction goes. Perhaps he'd stayed with them, perhaps they lived near each other, perhaps there was some link through their family. They weren't strangers, they were friends. And Lazarus is, is gravely ill and Jesus is sent for. Jesus doesn't seem to particularly rush, but eventually comes to the house. And by the time he gets there, uh, Lazarus has died. And Jesus interacts with the two sisters, Mary and Martha. Uh, both of them say to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then to Martha, he says this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What's he doing? He's being the king. To Martha, he's the king. He's saying, he's died, but see, see the big picture which I hold in my hands. He's died, but he's died in me. I will bring him back to life because I am a king. I'm the king of kings. Later, he finds Mary, and Mary speaks to him, and he says nothing back. He cries with her. To her, he's a priest. He doesn't offer her some summary of how this is going to work out. He, he feels where she is and shares that experience and brings it to God. And Lazarus is, is raised, of course. So he's a king to Martha and he's a priest to Mary. To Martha, he speaks to her mind. To Mary, he engages with her heart. This is the lesson we learn today about Jesus. And what we often do is we partition Jesus, don't we? we? We box him in our image, or we box him in our convenience, or we box him according to how we've heard about him. And sometimes we make him um, close by, but often in making him close by, we sort of diminish him and bring him down. Jesus is my best friend. He's my mate. He's looking after me. But then the problem is we get into, well, Jesus wouldn't do that. You know, my best friend wouldn't do that. Or we make Jesus the king, the sovereign, and, and we make him distant. And, and then, we're, you know, Jesus is, is in charge. I'm, I'm actually afraid of him. I'm nervous of him. I won't bother him. I, don't, I won't go to him. But Jesus is actually both of those things together at the same time. If he's a king, he's the Lord, he's the ruler, he's in control. 
Then we have the fear of God. We have that sense of showing respect, that sense of awe, possibly that sense of terror. When we do wrong, if he's a king, we might be afraid. We might be nervous because he's a king. He's not messing about. He's the ruler. He's the boss. If he's a priest, he has compassion. He's a friend. He's the one that prays with us because Jesus ever lives to intercede on our behalf. So when we pray, priest Jesus prays with us. He adds to our prayers and speaks to, his, to our father and his father on our behalf. He's the mediator. You ever been in a situation where you need a mediator? You know, oh, this is really awkward. Could you just find out if, how cross they are and then come back, you know, and then could you, if I did that, would that go, you know, that's a mediation type thing. That's, a, that's the role of priest Jesus. He mediates between us and God. He's our helper. And I think often we, we have a preference for one of those, but actually he's both. You don't have to pick which one Jesus is. He's both of those together. Let me read to you a final reading. This is from Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says it like this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Jesus is a king and a priest at the same time. Uh, I'm just going to pray for us and then uh, I think we're going to do some other things which will maybe just help us to um, connect with that. But I wonder if we could pick up that idea that we thought of at the beginning about where is Jesus. Sometimes we feel like we don't go to God because the thing we want to pray about is small compared to things like 200 girls missing or war in a country. And sometimes we can be so caught up in what, what's happening in our lives that we neglect to engage with or pray or think about those things that are the big scene. And the lesson from today is that both are valid. One is not dismissed by the other. Jesus is so big that he holds both of those things together at the same time. He cares about those things that are apparently small and maybe trivial in your life and the details of your life. And he also cares about the nations of the world and the big and the great important things that are happening out there. And the God that we worship and pray to holds both of those at the same time. So let's just pray for a minute together. Jesus, I thank you that you are bigger than we know. And we thank you that you hold this amazing 
place of being king and priest at the same time. We want you to enlarge in our hearts our understanding of who you are so that as we walk through our lives we know how close you are and bothered about the detail of our lives and how bothered you are about the whole of our society and our nation and our world. Help us not to neglect one for the other. Help us to learn what it means to engage with both. Help, it, help us to see you as the one who brings God to us. Help us to see you as the one who represents us to God. Help us to see you as the one that brings the law and brings the way and the truth. Help us to see you as the helping brother, the friend, the, the prayer partner, the one that intercedes alongside us. Amen.